Good morning, Petaluma. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted at KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM, online at kpca.fm. Welcome to this week's program. This is Rabbi Ted Feldman, the Rabbi of the Bene Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. Uh, back here for, uh, you can all see out there the color red. It's Valentine's Day, uh, so we should be seeing the color red. Uh, actually, well, red could be the negative in our checkbooks, too. We don't mm. want to get into that. Anyway, during our second segment today, we'll be speaking with Matthew Harris, the Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources for the Petaluma City Schools. And here during our first segment, uh, we have a couple uh, sitting in front of me, uh, Sila and Stu Nissenbaum, uh, who uh, are involved very deeply at the Israel Jewish Center. But I invited them to be here today particularly because they've been married for 47 years. And uh, I thought this would be a good opportunity to find out the secret of that, uh, to convey on Valentine's Day, a day of celebrating love and relationships. So welcome to our studio. Well, thank, thank you. you. It's great to have you here. Wow. You're still talking to each other? We are, as of this morning. Right. Yeah, and you generally don't use microphones like this to Correct. speak to each other. Right. That's really good. We yeah. just yell at each other. You just yell at each other. One upstairs and one downstairs. Absolutely. That's good. That's a good way Correct. to do it. So I, I did want to, you know, this balance. First of all, in Jewish tradition, Valentine's Day was not such a big holiday. It was not such a big holiday because of its history. But in American culture, it's grown into this celebration of love and relationship. Right. So it's okay for us to be talking about it in, uh, in this context uh, today. So uh, take us back 47 years, or how long had you known each other before you got married? Who's going to tell the little story of how you met and, and all of that? They're, they're, they're figuring it out between <laughs> them right now. Good right. to watch how this relationship works. Well, yeah, Sailor and I knew each other for about a year. We met through mutual friends that introduced us. Um, uh, when we first met, there was an immediate for me. There was an immediate physical attraction to Sailor. Um, we started out just as uh, as friends, part of a group of a larger group of friends, and we became involved. Yeah. Okay. That was so. Therefore, about forty-eight years ago, right? Right. <laughs> right? right. So, Sheila, what did you like about him? Do you remember what you? Yeah, liked I about do. Him? Um, very thoughtful, very caring, very easy to talk to, funny. Um, we had a lot of things in common: our families, our culture, uh -huh. um, and um, you know, we just had a really good time together. Yeah. What did you like about her? Well, as Besides I said, the physical, the physical attraction. attraction. We got that one. You know. Also, Seal is a very caring person. She's a registered nurse and uh, always was uh, just somebody that looked out for everybody else, and especially me. So it was very easy to get along with Seal. Wow. So you got married. Right. And how many children? We have, we have two. Two boys. Yeah. And grandchildren? Two. Identical twins. Identical twins. Yes. I told somebody that someone had twins once, and the person asked me how many. <laughs> <laughs> it was really an embarrassing moment. 
thank goodness uh, you put the word two in there to clarify that for the public yes. uh, to do that. And how old are the grandkids? So the grandkids are two and a half years old. Uh-huh. Our, our older son, Scott, is a chiropractor in San Carlos. Uh-huh. He's 36. And our youngest son, Eric, is 31. And he lives, he's single and lives in San Francisco. Right. Okay. Wow. So... Um, I assume you've never had an argument in 47 years. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have oh, we're still together. <laughs> you're still together. Do you have a secret for solving that? That is, what happens in those things? I mean, I, yeah, what do you do? I think we're both very reasonable. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, like people say, it's all about compromise, and it really is. And you have to truly like that person and love them, of course. And, uh, you know, you just work it out. So, you know, some, some people will, would define compromise as two people losing. That is, both, both sides lose something. Uh, but I, what I'm hearing is that compromise also is two people gaining something yes. in terms of the connection with each other and how they, how they go on with life. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't always as easy as it is now. You know, as we were a young married couple, we had moved from New York City to California. We didn't know a soul. I was a school teacher in New York and had a summer off, and Sila was a nurse in between jobs. And we drove out to California, and we just fell in love with mm-hmm. California. So we decided to move without having jobs, without knowing anybody. And, you know, it, it drew us much closer together at that time because we had to rely on only each other. Right. We'd go out and explore different parts of California. We'd go to dinner. It would just be the two of us. We really hadn't developed a social circle at that point. Uh, so as we, as, as we started aging a little bit and had kids, there were a lot of pressures. And, you know, we had, a, we had to rely on each other to solve them. Now, kids are out of the house. They're grown, grandkids. Life has become a lot easier. For sure. And the, the arguments are different, different issues. <laughs> different issues these days. Yeah, I, I mean, many people, um, many marriages are uh, struggle with the empty nest syndrome, you know, with oh. the, when the kids are gone, because it, so much energy is put into raising the kids, whether it be agreeing or disagreeing, but the energy into raising the kids. And all of a sudden, the kids leave the home and years are older already, but then the husband and wife look at each other and say, now, now what? what? <laughs> I, now I, what do we do? We, I never felt that. Yeah, we 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 were like, yeah, we, kids are out of the house. This is a good thing. Uh, I think initially, when you know our first son, our oldest son, went off to college, we felt that you know separation, anxiety, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, by the time my second son went off to college, we were ready. Then we truly became empty nesters, and we were ready for it. You were ready for it. And our children live fairly close. I mean, they didn't move 3,000 miles away like we did. So we get to see them when we want to. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We, one of the... Um, I, what, what question is this? How long did infatuation last? I mean, in the movies, in romance novels, the period of love that's often played up, and even with Valentine's Day, it's this Starstruck, looking into each other's eyes, infatuation. 
Can you remember what that was like mm-hmm. and what oh. and what that transition was like into a different kind of relationship? Or is it still, do you feel it's still there, there's an infatuation? I think so. I think it's still there. Wow. You know, we just really enjoy each other. Right, right. And love each other very much. So um, it's, it might be tweaked a little bit. Right. But um, for the most part, uh, I, I think it's still there. That's a wonderful Valentine's Day gift yes. to your husband and to each other to be able to express that you feel that. That's mm-hmm. really important. Um, you know, the, the Hebrew word for uh, love comes from this is ahava, and it comes from the same root as the word for tent. Tent. And so people often look at me quizzically, what does what one thing have to do with the other? But the tent is encompassing, protective from the elements outside. That is, the relationship that you have of love is uh, hopefully helps you deal with all the things that come from the world around you and from inside to protect you. And so I'm feeling that sense with the two of you that there's this uh, embracing Number one, love embracing, but also protectiveness and comfort that is this tent mm-hmm. that you have around you that helps you celebrate on a day like today. That, that is, that's very nice. That is. It's a beautiful yeah. Yeah. way to understand that. It's a beautiful way to understand that. Of course, from the spiritual teaching, it was, uh, in some ways, God's love was embracing of us, too, mm-hmm. of uh, protecting us and keeping us warm from a cold world or a cruel world. But in the human phenomenon, uh, it's this love that can per, uh, permeate a relationship uh, as the two of you have. Uh, how are you celebrating today? As we do every Valentine's Day, we, we have dinner out with friends. So uh-huh. there are five couples that um, get together for all kinds of occasions, and we're celebrating at dinner at Central Market tonight. Okay, so the whole community can come say hello sure. to you there. <laughs> what time is the reservation? We'll have them meet you there. And to get your autograph for being Dinner's on the radio on, today. Finn's on Lawrence Jonas. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. That'll be good. Oh, my good! I can't wait to see that bill. Okay. <laughs> can't wait to see that bill. So... Uh, is compromise the only uh, secret of this 47-year marriage? Is compromise? Is it compromise, love? Humor. Humor. Definitely humor. Yeah. You laugh at his jokes? Yes. And you laugh at her jokes? Or does she make jokes? She doesn't make jokes. jokes. She doesn't make not, jokes. Not frequently, but uh, we're both, I think, pretty self-deprecating. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, which makes things e- makes the jokes easier to tell. Makes the jokes easier to tell. So, but it's very supportive of you to laugh at his jokes. Yes. You're welcome to send some to me every yeah. once in a while. <laughs> You're a good one. I'm happy to share it uh, with the world out there. Um, any other component pieces that you can think of? Um, our children. The children, the fact that you live together and spend time with them and the family. So with our, with our children, um, we, we try to see that, as I said, my older son, who has the two twin boys, uh, lives in San Carlos. So we try to see them at least twice a week. Usually uh-huh. Wednesday, Celia goes down to help uh, their uh, nanny. And uh, I'll meet her in the afternoon, spend you know, dinner time with the kids. And then Sunday, every Sunday, we try to get down there. Uh-huh. 
So that that's that a, involvement. a great connection with that's the family, yeah. etc. That's so good. I mean, it's, it's it's what it's all about. Certainly, it sure is. It's what it's all and about. seeing us, just seeing uh, how each of us interact differently with the kids, and how we marvel. I, I marvel at Sila's patience, her energy to keep them involved and keep them doing things. And I'm there just to play with the kids. <laughs> You're there just I'm to there play just the to play with yeah. them. Yeah, it's. Uh, so, do you see younger generations and relationships among them, whether it be your children or others, uh, evolving the same way? And uh, I do. I do. Is their community being the same? Yeah, I do. Our, again, uh, both of our sons have very active social lives. Uh-huh. Uh, they grew up. Um, my, my older son went to confirmation, went to Israel with his confirmation class, and remains very friendly with probably 15 of those kids that were in confirmation with him. And I see the relationship that he has with them, and all of them now have children, and it's much like ours. And I see my son, both my sons, I see us and them. Well, it's, it's obvious that they had a, a good example of a relationship uh, to model after. Uh, I always wonder... Uh, you know, the, the fact that our country is so mobile uh, and people live at such distances. And uh, while well, your trip to San Jose or to the South Bay may be uh, uh, irksome at times because of traffic mm-hmm. and all that, many families live very far apart. Right. And so between the mobility of, of people not getting connected to community and living far from their family, it's really a very different world than in the early days of your relationship 47 years ago. It was the beginning of the mobility, but it, it's yeah. different. You know, one, one thing also in, in those, um, going on along those lines, when Sailor and I first started, you know, when we, had, when we first had kids, we traveled to New York to be with our family, all of which lived in New York. So Sailor's mother and father and sister and nephew and my parents and my sister. We never missed a holiday. We never missed an occasion for them. So our kids truly were brought up seeing how important family is. Right. And it just, it, that we're a family unit that just stays together, supports each other, and get along. That's a, that's a wonderful uh, testimony to 47 years mm-hmm. of good, bad, indifferent, Difficult moments, get, learning how to get through those moments, moving on, and the embracing ahava, the embracing love that the two of you share for each other. And actually, I can make a little segue into the second part of what I wanted to speak with, uh, particularly Stu, but Stu and Sila about. Is Stu is also president of the board of directors at B'nai Israel Jewish Center. And part of our conversation up until now, uh, part of what has contributed to your life, as I understand, as I know you, uh, has been your connection with friends and the people in the community and your family and the high priority that has taken uh, in your lives. And I, I see you operating as president of our board of directors, trying to carry that out and offer that to a broader community. Because when I think of mobility, uh, I think of the many families that come into Petaluma and don't have connections. Don't you know? People's connections these days are often in, in the workplace mm-hmm. in some fashion. 
Some people may be connected to old friends from their hometowns where they move from, but most people's connections are in the workplace. And so I think what you're offering as your leadership brings is this notion that connecting in the community, getting friends together, creating a ahava, a sheltering environment in which we can live in this very confusing world at times is really a piece of it. So what, what if I answered my own question... <laughs> in a way you did, but let me expand yeah, on go that. Ahead. Uh, when I became the president almost two years ago, my ultimate goal was to develop community within our congregation and, and the greater Petaluma. And I wanted to be able to have the younger members, those that are new to Petaluma, find their connection, find their friends. As I said, when, when Sila and I first joined uh, B'nai Israel, when we first moved out here, uh, first thing I did was I went to the synagogue and um, you know, joined and found out that there was a softball team and started playing softball. And the people that were playing softball from our community, from our congregation, are my friends today. They're the people, when I mentioned, you know, five couples going out for dinner on Valentine's Day, each of those, each of the men in those five couples played on that softball team. Well, I have to get my, my uh, line in here about softball so yeah. that people can understand how it relates to the synagogue because the opening chapter of the book of Genesis, the Bible says in the big inning. And <laughs> therefore, good. this game was no doubt a spiritual exercise. Yes. yes. So, uh, so what I wanted, what I, what I, my goal is to help those young people find the connection within our community. And we're working towards that by doing all kinds of activities that involve uh, younger people, uh, multi-generational you know, families. We're at the beginning of... Um, doing a, a backyard beautification. And the idea of that is uh, just to make it a more welcoming space, place where people could come in the evening, uh, maybe have a movie night, maybe barbecue on a Sunday, and just, again, be together with community. Yeah, community is so important. You know, what's it been like for you uh, watching Stu uh, do this volunteer job with has taken many, many hours of his time. I, I, I'm very altruistic. Um, it's a tough job. It's, <laughs> it's a tough job. A yeah. lot of hours, a lot of meetings. Uh -huh. But I think it's for the greater good, um, which is a wonderful thing. And it's kind of exciting to see the um, temple move in that direction, you know, get young people in, because we were young people at one time and. um made our friends here. So um, I'm really proud of him yeah. for the, the effort and the time. I think you had told me when in the early, particularly in the first five, six months, of how, uh, number one, proud you were of him and how you saw how excited he was about what he was doing. And actually, I think he's still excited about yes. it. Yes, I am. Uh, in spite of the challenges mm -hmm. that come uh, with being the, uh, kind of a leader uh, when there's at least one other opinion uh, around you on any given moment yes. at any given time for any given subject. So uh, it's important, and I think that support has certainly been helpful uh, for Stu and is 
reflective of uh, the 47 years mm-hmm. we've been talking about a little earlier in the show. And it certainly broadened my connection with people. You know, the people on our executive committee and our board and different members that were outside my, my circle, uh-huh. I've drawn, you know, pretty close to. And I, I enjoy building relationships. So for you, what's the, you know, you're, you come regularly on Saturday morning, on Shabbat morning. Uh, what's that experience like for you? Obviously, we don't have huge crowds, so... Mm-hmm. But you've made it a, a pretty big habit. In your yeah, life. no, I, I try to be there every Saturday and usually am available to be there. Right. Uh, for me, I, I love the service. I love the the, the, the chanting of the, the psalms and the songs that we do. And probably more important and most important, it gives me a time where I could close my eyes and just reflect on my family, my parents, uh, my children my grandchildren. So for me, it's more of a a contemplative, meditative environment that allows me the quiet time to think of what's really important. That and that's great. Uh, I hope the closing the eyes isn't particularly during my sermon, uh, but I won't. I, we, won't we won't talk about that. Although I did tell a story about somebody who came to the synagogue for the express purpose of sleeping. I told that during mm-hmm. services last Shabbat, but I, I won't retell that story right now. I won't retell that story right now. Anything coming up on the synagogue calendar that you'd like to share? Oh, yes, yes. We have. Uh, on the night of, or the afternoon of the Academy Awards, we have a mixer. It's called Getting to Know You, and it has a, an Academy Award theme, uh-huh. complete with a red carpet and red carpet interviews and um, some musical event, and uh, Jim Stern is emceeing that event. And it's an opportunity for our uh, new members to meet our um, membership. And usually, you know, if we do something like that, we get a great turnout. Um, we expect over 100, you know, 100 people there this uh, 24th of February. And it's just going to be a fun event with music, food, um, just fun times. And I would point out that if you are interested in checking that out, you're welcome to go to our website at uh, net and... Uh, if you'd like to RSVP that you're coming, we would welcome uh, people coming, checking out uh, our community. That would be great. That would be great. So I don't want um, our listening uh, public out there to uh, think that all of the things that we're doing are with, is on the social level, connecting. Uh, we pride ourselves also as a Jewish community on education, on understanding our culture, our history, uh, on being able to take the teachings of our sages from years ago and translate them into messages for modern life. And that's done, obviously, in the context of religious services, in the context of adult education classes. Uh, I'm doing a series right now on um, uh, Can We Talk About Death and Dying? Uh, people find that subject still very, uh, very difficult. Uh, it should also be a place not only where we can laugh together, but we can learn to cry together and uh, learn how to support each other and do things that will deepen our souls uh, of connection if we believe in a God, if we believe in something bigger than we are, 
or just in the community of which we are part. And uh, we're blessed with uh, leaders like you who have uh, really inspired the community to keep pushing forward in spite of all the consequences out there. Yeah, so what, what's the hardest job of, of being president? What is, what is the hardest job for you? Probably that while I'm the president of the congregation, we have another hundred presidents, people uh-huh. that have a very strong opinions and aren't uh-huh. shy about voicing their opinion. So it's, 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 it's answering their concerns, their ideas, and it often conflicts with somebody else's concerns and ideas. So that balance is, has been somewhat difficult. Uh, but I think everybody uh, has been respectful of each other's opinion. Somebody might not like this one. Somebody will like another one. So I guess it's uh, just trying to, to satisfy everybody. And what's the best part of doing it? best part is being part of this community. Okay, and, and, that's great. And bringing us to the next step, to the next level. Yeah. And, and that, to me, again, is building community. Mm-hmm. So, Sheila, when you hear Stu talking about this connection of his, what's that like for you? What do you, uh, you, you resonate in a different way in terms of your connection, and I understand that, and that's perfectly mm-hmm. normal. But what, what's this I, like? I think it's very inspiring for people uh-huh. because people that are connected with the synagogue um, really also want that and different ways of getting there, but I think uh-huh. they respect Stu very much, and are willing to listen as he is. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing, and we're proud. I, I often walk into the lobby, and I look uh, down at the uh, down the list of all the past presidents and you know, all the different personalities mm-hmm. over the 154 years of B'nai Israel's existence. And your name at some point down the future, I don't think this is a president for life occasion, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Uh, your name will be up there, and good, good presence in the community to make everything very, very positive. Thank you. So this celebration of uh, Valentine's Day, I hope, is a special one for you. Thank it's you. It's your first time on the radio, I think. Is this yes. yes, it is. Yeah, I didn't get. Did you, I see. Got all dressed up for today uh, for the radio appearance, um, and it, this is your first time, and it's really been. Uh, an honor to speak with you and to learn about the connection that you have, the 47 years of marriage, mm-hmm. the beautiful family, and above all, the major contribution you are making to B'nai Israel Jewish Center, to our Jewish community, and our Jewish world. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for thank the you. opportunity. Yes. You are listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted at KPCALP, Petaluma, California. 103.3 FM online at kpca.fm. We'll see you during our second segment in three minutes.
Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted, KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM, online at kpca.fm. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, Rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center, Petaluma, and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. Welcome back to our second segment. In our studio for this segment, is Matthew Harris, Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources for Petaluma City Schools. Uh, I met Matthew a couple of weeks ago at a program sponsored by the Community Relations Council on the issue of bias and inclusivity in our public schools. And I thought that both the subject matter and uh, his involvement and connection with it would be a very, very, very worthy topic of discussion for us this morning. So welcome to our studio. Thank you. So in the next 20-some uh, minutes, uh, we're going to solve all the problems <laughs> of human relations within our schools, just within the school system. It's not the world. It's not the whole city. It's just the school system. I so look forward to doing that with yeah, you. I look forward to doing that with you. So... Um, yeah, so I, we, I had called you and invited you to come to that program, and we had a presentation by a number of uh, students and uh, former students of the public school system recounting some of their challenging moments, really challenging moments, uh, in relationship uh, either to uh, school personnel, uh, other students in the school, um, what what did you hear from them when you were listening to them? That yeah, I think first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I it, at that meeting of the Petaluma Relations Council, I after doing a little bit of reflection on it, I even even in the moment, just I was very deeply saddened to hear about the negative experiences that some of our current and former students of color, um, as well as the um, LGBTQ plus students. And I know that I speak on behalf of the administrative team when I say that um, we can, we we can, and we need to do better. Um, that's sort of that's sort of what I heard. And getting up there, my my goal from sort of coming that evening was I had reached out to a large our our, our group of eighteen administrators, site administrators, <coughs> and I believe we had 11, eleven or twelve of them yeah. who showed up that evening because it is an issue that um, that's throughout the schools, it's throughout the community, it's throughout the nation and the world. And, um, you know, having, having those 11 administrators with me and having a great discussion about it before we went to the event and, and sort of involving them in the conversation and, and framing it from the perspective of um, elementary school, what, is that, what does it look like in junior high and high school, um, 
it's kind of what the message that I wanted to, to give to the administrators and to the, the room is that we're here and, and we're listening and we, we, we know this is an important issue. And it is an important issue, and I want to get us back to that. But at first, before, I want people to know who you are a little bit better, uh, now that we've framed a little bit of the issue. Um, how did you get into it? Give me a little bit, a bit about your background and where you come from. And have you lived in Petaluma since the day you were born and all that kind of we'd, stuff? We'd love to. I was born and raised in, in a, 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 a small town, it's actually a village, in, in uh, Richland, Michigan. And not a lot of diversity, and this obviously through today we're talking about diversity, diversity and inclusiveness. Not a lot of um, diversity in, in Richland, Michigan. But um, as I got into, as I got a little older, my, my family had some foreign exchange students around, around the world, and it um, really made me want to explore and see, you know, what is, what is this diverse world where, that we live in? And as a junior in high school, I became a, a foreign exchange student through the Rotary Club was sent to a French-speaking school in Belgium and spent my year, my junior year of high school over there, came back and just sort of fell in love with traveling and, and uh, ended up going to the University of Michigan and where I was pursuing anything but education. My mother was a, was a, an, a, an elementary school teacher as well as a, an elementary school principal. So I thought the last thing in the world I want to do is that. I sort of see how that, that, that whole thing works. Um, went to University of Michigan, and my, one of my first jobs getting out of, of, of college was to go over to South Korea and teach. Mm-hmm. So I discovered where I started my teaching career, fell in love, and then um, came back and joined an organization called Teach for America. Mm-hmm. And the, sort of the mission is, um, mission statement is that, that all, st- all, all students deserve an excellent education. And uh, was placed in inner city Los Angeles, and I taught down, I was down, down in um, Southern California for uh, about 11 years, teaching, um, going back to school myself, and uh, going and getting some student debt, you know, accumulating some student debt, that sort of thing. <laughs> and um, and then about in 2012, I had finished my administrative credential and found a little school up here in Petaluma called McKinley Elementary School. And for some reason, it just sort of called out to me, and, and my background had been working with in primarily Latino communities. And wanted to come up to this, this small school and, and see what we could do. My, my wife and I had just had our second daughter. And so we moved up with the family. And um, the rest is I spent the last six years as principal at McKinley School. And now I'm, I'm brand new to this new position here as Assistant Superintendent of Human Resources. Wow, that place in Michigan. I was in Waterville. Is it near Waterville? I know Waterville. Absolutely. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I didn't <laughs> grow up there, but I, okay, yes. I went to a camp there. But yeah. wow. Yeah, that's a great, been. great, great place to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, what you just said, I wish we could have said during the forum, mm-hmm. because of during our inquiry that night, I because it's so important, particularly for the students, but also I think for the other administrators and teachers and general public who are there to understand what brought you to be standing up there and talking about this issue because by hearing that piece of the story, we know it's not a little script that you read uh, off of the internet for administrators to say when they right. go to a discussion about bias and inclusivity. Absolutely. And so I, I really i am glad we spent those few minutes just now hearing that story Thank you. because it's important for, I believe, uh, for our students to hear that piece of it 
And uh, one of the goals of that evening was to uh, begin a dialogue uh, among the students, administrators, teachers about these uh, these issues. Can you, can you reflect on, you know, what, what, did you get any feedback from the other school personnel afterwards and what was it like for them and all that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that having, you know, the community forum, the, the bottom line, the, the school district, it's a, and sort of what I said that evening, we're, it's a relationship business. I mean, we, we build relationships with, with people and bring the community in. It's such an important, powerful aspect of, this, of the community school is to bring people in and be part of the, the education of their children, our students. Um, I do think it was a, a, great, a great way to sort of to kickstart the conversation and having the, that group of administrators um, also, there were quite a few teachers. I think in the breakout session, I got to got to sit with um, several teachers. So it's it's not just the administration. I mean, the, the, our our teachers are interested in the topic. Our families are interested in the topic. Um, so the great way to start the conversation. I think I, I shared with you that um, I was able to. So some of the outcomes from that meeting, we had um, one of the and I again I'm having a hard time remembering her her name. Um, but she stood up and she talked a little bit about the, the Fair Act and she talked a little bit about um, her experience at Casa not feeling like um, that that her the LGBTQ plus community was represented in the in the the history books and in, in the the writings that were presented in her English class. And I happened to be. I had not didn't set this up. I, I was at Casa for another reason. And I was walking around campus with the principal Eric Backman, and who did we run into? But that 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 um, Thea, right? Thea, yeah, yeah, Thea, yes. And it was great just to have a conversation with her and, and speak with her again. And and uh, Eric Backman had invited her previously, and we had kind of had another conversation about it to be be a part of a. Um, review of the, let's take a look at the curriculum and let's get some some suggestions some suggestions some ideas on how to how to make this better how to make this more reflective um, of our community um, so I think that small step um, and then I think we can talk towards the end a little bit about some some follow-up steps as well sure and uh, well I understand that the teachers administrators have been involved in a, uh, a training program around bias and inclusivity and Yes, there's a there's a small group. So um, again, part of that conversation with the administrators, there's there's a small group. I believe it's um, four or five administrators who are part of a. Um, they've been doing this kind of getting together and, and talking about um, diversity, anti-bias, and inclusivity training, and sort of the idea being that we can a trainer of the sort of a training of the trainers model where you can bring some bring some back and, and do a training for the rest of the admin group and then start to get it out to the sites as well. Okay, so that's really important that our teachers, uh, yes. you know, it, on one hand, it sounds like a subject that you you either uh, uh, emotionally, spiritually, morally support and want to be careful about bias and inclusivity, or you don't. But actually, people can be helped yes. to understand the lives of others and how the other person might look at the world if by listening to what's happening in the world around. So yes. I think it's great that they're going through this training and hopefully it can be brought into and this and by the way, as I pointed out that night and I keep pointing out, this subject did not begin in two thousand nineteen. No. Didn't begin with our elections in two thousand sixteen. 
30, 40 years ago, the uh, what was then referred to as the Anti-Defamation League, ADL had a training program on, in those days it was called Brotherhood, mm-hmm. uh, Brotherhood in the School and how people related to each other. There was a program called Facing History as Ourselves, uh, looking at the Holocaust and many school systems, certainly on the East Coast, talking about relationships, not just with the Jewish community, but with all diverse communities. So it's not a new subject, but we, each generation, we are responsible to make it happen, right? Exactly. And I think this is, as you said, systemic, institutionalized from the beginning of time. Um, when we when we sort of look at these issues and how it you know different iterations of of racism and and how how do we as a school system play our play our role in in um, making that change? So uh, one piece of this that uh, we don't talk about uh, in this kind of setting to where we didn't talk about then was uh, the homes from which the students come. Yes, and. Uh, we realize that we, as uh, the school system, is presented with a child who comes from a home, and in that home there can be all kinds of things happening uh, about inclusivity and bias and trained teaching and bullying and all of those things, let alone education and doing your homework and, you know, <laughs> what's important to learn in the process. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the school system gets the product of those homes. How do you make that balance, and what can we do to yeah. get that conversation going in the other direction, too? Absolutely. That's a, a wonderful point that you bring up, that, and something that I wanted to touch on a, a little bit as well. So the students come to us with their background, with their own, um, from their families, their set of beliefs, norms, religions, cultures, um, and it's our job as public educators to address the ills of this institutional racism and get students working together. Um, I think that here, you know, today is this the anniversary of the, the tragedy in, in Parkland. Um, schools as, as a, the hub of the community. I often am asked, you know, I've been interviewed by students and by, by parents, how do you, how do you keep the, the school safe? And we look at, you know, what had happened in, in other schools um, who had metal detectors and school resource officers. And the, the bottom line, I say, is it's all, it is all about relationships. It's, it's how do we build community? How do we make schools the, the hub of the community, engage students, work to understand, build bridges, build relationships? That's, that's sort of, um, when, I, when I met with a group of administrators, I asked them, you know, sort of what does it look like at elementary when we do this, junior high school and high school? How are we developing um, these relationships? And, and I think from, from my own perspective, as a my my wife and I, uh, my my beautiful wife Elizabeth and I have uh, four young children here in Petaluma, and when we started looking, you know, when we moved up here, our young we had a, a one uh, well brand new I think about she was about three or four weeks old, um, Kiara, and we had a, a two year old named Sienna. We now have four. We've got two more boys afterwards, Gabriel and Sebastian. But as we were looking for school a school in Petaluma, I I was. I found it very interesting when we first moved here and kind of reflected on that since, that down in, in, in inner city LA, the schools were very, very similar. At where I was working, large, large population of, of Latino students just everywhere, large um, amount of free and reduced lunches. 
when they got up to Petaluma, I always found it sort of strange. This this small, you know, compared to Los Angeles, yeah, much much smaller, yeah. much much smaller community. Uh, I found it interesting that that we have schools, kind of pockets of different schools, where you have some schools are a very high percentage. In fact, in you know, McKinley, when I walked in, was around 98% free and reduced lunch, 98% Latino, and then you have schools on the other side of town, or even on the same same area, where you have the flip side of that. 98% white, 98% affluent, and it's interesting that we're sort of, you know, how that self-segregation works, and you see it in the schools as well. So at, at McKinley, I'll just kind of use that as an example since I was there, um, one of the big, one of our, one of the core values at the school is diversity, and it's sort of how do you, um, well, it, when, I, when I first started, it, there was, there's been a lot of iterations over the year. I, I will just say that that school has gone from about 190 students to 465 this year, more than doubled in size, and it's um, gone from that 98% Latino and, and free and reduced lunch. We are now about uh, 60% white, 40% Latino. It's a very changed dynamic, and with that comes some growing pains. And how do you engage different communities, English-speaking communities, Spanish-speaking community, different cultures, and bring them together? Um, and one of the most powerful things that we did was. Um, something called an intercambio. We, we labeled it that, and it was, it was in English and Spanish. It was bicultural, bilingual, Spanish, English, back and forth. And we were really, the goal was to sort of bring a small group of each um, of uh, families who spoke English at home, families who spoke Spanish at home, and do some, lang- not only just language, but cult- intercultural activities together. And because if we can model as adults, as parents, and we have friends that are from all different walks of life, I want my daughters to grow up in an environment where they get the opportunity to, to meet people from different cultures and different uh, different walks of life, and, and I want them to grow up. I don't want the first time that they see some us another student of color to be when they get to high school, when they get to college. I want them to have those rich experiences. I think it makes us, um, us you know, better better citizens um, if we're able to do that from from a young age, and so. You know, there's that that legal uh, that legal concept of locus parentis, which is uh, in the place of the parents. And oftentimes, we put on the school system. You know, now you have our kids. Uh, you you raise them, right? Sure. I remember many years ago when values clarification was a common thing, and it's not been around for a while. But it was a way of helping people clarify what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And I did that with my board of directors at my synagogue. And one parent put down there, my responsibility as a rabbi, as a rabbi, is to raise Jewish children. <laughs> right? Oh, really? <laughs> I, this is, and, but that's what you happened. didn't know you signed up for that. I didn't know I signed up for that. And um, it's in some ways that's what happens in our school system. Many parents hands off. The school system's got to handle it, right. etc. Which is why it's so important to bring families in and make them feel welcome. I think a lot of families think. As you say, that's the school's responsibility. The school needs to do that. We kind of try to, you try to flip the dynamic. Usually, kindergarten, first grade, second grade parents are very eager to come in the schools. By about fourth or fifth grade, we just see parents sort of, whoa, here, you know, go to school. And I think the more we flip that dynamic and say, we want you to come in, we need you to come in, we want you part of this education. It doesn't work without that strong community bond. Um, the better off our schools are going to be. Right, and how to do that and 
Uh, in many ways, uh, the school systems aren't set up to do family programming, to, so to speak. That's not the way it's structured or either administratively, legally, etc. Its responsibility is the children. Of course. Uh, and yet we recognize that profound uh, connection between the children and the families from yes. which they come and yes. need them in the process. Yes. So, uh, Parent volunteers. We did, we did a lot of overnight camps and had parents come and um, work with our work with students. We're going on field trips. We're gonna. Um, we want to learn about your culture. Bring have your your parent come in and talk a little bit about with you. Collaborate. There's many different ways of bringing families in and making um, those deeper connections with right. families. Right. Right. So, um, so where where do we go here from here with this dialogue that we started? I wanted to make sure we got this into our conversation. Yes. Um, any ideas from you? Certainly from the Petaluma Community Relations Council point of view, we wanted to get the conversation started in a more public way, mm -hmm. but we also would like to work with the school systems and the schools and the, the students to figure out what's next. What did, what did you think about that? Yeah, I think one of the next steps is um, because of all these um, the long the long weekends and things we haven't had a, a where we had got all of our administrators together but a follow-up conversation needs to happen am amongst the administrators and I'd be happy to sort of lead that conversation but more importantly for the Petaluma relationship Re relations council um, I know Eric Backman was very eager to to the principal at Casa Grande very eager to invite that group and really anyone who's interested in the topic um, this Friday March 8th. At uh, 8.30 in the morning, from about 8.30 until 10 o'clock, um, I'm planning to be there. Um, we'll see who else um, from the district office may, may want to attend. Um, I know Eric can kind of do a, a tour of the campus and just sort of see the school in action. I think we have, there's a lot of um, perception, there's different perceptions out there about, you know, particularly around the junior highs and the high schools. And I think it'd be great to get some um, community members to go in and let's take a look. I've always been... I walk on campuses and, and usually I'm just, you know, wow, look at this education. Look at these look at these students. And, you know, I'm used to a K-8 school and I see these high schoolers on the campus and just so independent and kind to one another and holding the doors and thank you. And this is the kind of, this is what I, I would love to share and have, let people kind of, kind of come and take a look at what's actually going on in the schools. I think that'll start a sort of a follow-up conversation and if we want to continue and, and do other um, tours or meetings, we would, um, I, I think that many of, I speak for many of the group that we'd love to be a part of that. I think you hit on an, uh, at least in my perception and understanding that uh, high school kids are rowdy and uh, they don't, they're disrespectful and, and all of that. And I think, uh, you know, a good news newspaper out of, yes. out of, out of the, the high schools about where people are uh, actually, in this morning's Argus Courier, there's a whole article on Lucia Guerrero about her political activism. Oh, great! And okay, the kind of so yeah, take a look at yep. that to see the kind the things that she's representing. Yes. And uh, not that she's the same as every student in the school; right. she's obviously become a leader right. in that process. Yes. But it's, uh, the school system could say we're proud to have her. Uh, and what she's doing in our schools to make uh, make a difference. If not that, point. what's the point of schools to build right. build these right. future leaders to build right. our yeah right? Do you have um, just a curiosity question? Sure. 
the relationship between Petaluma City Schools and the other districts that sure. are in Petaluma. Yes. What happens, you know, because we've been talking mostly to you and sometimes, oh, we should really be getting Adobe in and Cinnabar and, and all those in yes. to the conversation here. What, what, is there a formal relationship or? Yeah, so there are, there are formal relationships between the different, different school districts in the, in, in the, the sort of the Petaluma area here. I was sort of blown away coming from, from Los Angeles schools to see, wow, this little, this little town here, Petaluma, has, I don't know, I, I thought at first it was seven, eight, nine, ten school dis- different school districts all around here. So a lot of, many of them sort of one school, one school districts, you know, right. like, like the Cinnabars and the Liberty. Right. And um, Old Adobe, we, we do some with, with Wilson, Old Adobe, WAS, sort of some sharing of services. So um, special special education services, for example, we may have be the, the, the local, the, the employer of record for some of our, um, uh, some of the employees. We share, a, we share a South County consortium among many of the, for, for our special ed program with many of the districts. Um, the, I think the biggest thing is Petaluma City Schools being the, the big, the big district with the secondary, um, secondary component. So, Old Adobe, Wa, many of those those school districts all feeding into our high school district. Right. So that's a very important connection. Yes. Yeah. In the in the remaining time here, are, was there anything else you wanted to get across? Any leftovers from our conversation here? Yeah, I'd love to just just talk briefly about um, being the the superintendent of human resources. Um, one question that came up towards the end was about um, diversity in hiring and diversity in our in our workforce. And I think that's very important and sort of one of my goals in this new role is really our schools are our, our, our staff. While of course we're never we're never going we are in, we're, we would never discriminate against anyone. We um, want to be reflective of the community and and, and it's, there are many challenges. But sort of how do we get our staff to um, to sort of start to mirror the students in our schools? Um, I think that's I think that's really important, and it's sort of where we how how do we advertise? How do we bring people in? Um, we have a job fair coming up this Friday, March first, at the district office, from ten o'clock till six p.m. And we're looking to get a, lots and lots of new applicants and people to come in and, and join. We have just we have an amazing, amazing group of educators, uh, professional educators that work in our district, and and uh, we're hoping to get some more to sort of just join us and and uh, and help us with all this. Is it hard to find teachers these days, um, <coughs> or is it okay? It's, is it, we'll see. I mean, the last couple of years we've had lots and lots of applicants. This year, um, we'll see. There's sort of you know you you see with the economy booming, um, we do we're starting to see have more and more difficulty attracting, um, uh, particularly um, amongst our um, classified staff. We'll see with this. We'll see how the job fair goes in, in the next couple of weeks. But I'm I'm hopeful that we'll find some really great teachers for, for our future generations. And uh, as we wind down our hour, our half hour here, um, any last minute thoughts that you wanted to share about the issue of bias and inclusive? I'm just uh, very happy to be part of the conversation and um, I'm very appreciative to the to your, your group to, uh, to have started this and, and brought us on board and I, I look forward to continuing the conversation. I don't know if it'll ever be I, I'm hopeful that it will one day be, be solved but I think that there there's there's sort of steps that we can take all together to to, um, 
to reduce the amount of discrimination. Yeah, yeah. if we I, think we're going to solve it, we may get frustrated. I believe if so. If we think we can <laughs> reduce it, yes. then we might feel successful. Yes. Well, Matthew Harris, uh, Assistant Superintendent for Petaluma City Schools, Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources, thank you for being with us on Talking with Rabbi Ted today. KPCLA, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. Thank you. Thank you.